Welcome to Free and Figuring It Out, a weekly podcast hosted by two Brits, Sherelle Griffith and Verity Brown, on a mission to support, empower and reassure fellow independent millennial women that they can be self-sufficient, successful and seen. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Free and Figuring It Out. I am super excited today to be talking to Nicola Lespia. She is the founder of Nicola Lespia Greetings Card and we are going to be talking all about her business, about race, representation and what it means really to be a black woman in the UK today. So I am so excited to have you on Nicola. Um, Thank you so much for joining us. Obviously it would be great to know a little bit more about you and your business. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be on your show. So my brand started in 2016. Um, I'd been looking for a birthday card for my sister in London, and I had been in every greeting card store looking for a card. And I would approach the sales assistant and ask where the black greeting cards are. And their response was always the same. We don't sell them. Now, this was nothing new. This is obviously something that I had experienced all throughout my life. Um, But this time I actually decided I wanted to do something about it. So I went to the art store and I designed a birthday card for my sister. And I hadn't drawn for such a long time. I didn't even know if I still had those illustration skills. And I remember illustrating, I was living in Shoreditch at the time and holding it up in my room and thinking, actually this this isn't bad I could actually make other greeting cards as well because I knew that I wasn't the only person experiencing this problem you know if you're living in a a major city the capital of London and you cannot locate a black greeting card you know it's a huge problem Uh, so that's basically how my brand launched I set up my website had no experience of running a business at all and I remember um, one of the first posts I posted on Twitter saying you know basically announcing that I had launched a greeting card brand and I can remember it was retweeted about 300 times my phone was pinging with all these notifications I was kind of wow and I was thinking what do I do now? Because it was just so unexpected. And, you know, it's, it's a brilliant moment. And 300 retweets may not sound quite a lot now, but four years ago, it was pretty big for me. So that's where it all began. And um, what I think is really interesting is you said it wasn't the first time you had gone into a shop and you hadn't been able to find a card with a black person on it. But what made you, I suppose, what was the turning point that you decided then? I'm going to do something about it whereas I think actually there are lots of people that be listening to this and be like well that's always been my experience my whole life and that's never inspired me to do anything else about it. Yes definitely it's a good question because it collided with a um, period in my life where I was looking for clarity. I was working in education at the time I was an operations manager in in, uh, education and I knew that I wanted something different from life, but I didn't know what it was. You know, sometimes you kind of reach that crossroads in life where you feel you say, well, I need to do something, but I don't know what that is. And I can remember Googling online, you know, change your life. Uh, You know, do I need a life coach? What is it that I need? And I came across um, a one day workshop and it was there that I came across uh, personal development, living with purpose. And so that's what the catalyst was in that moment for me is, ah, actually, maybe this is my purpose. This has come to me at this moment in time for a reason. And that, that's basically what's, what triggered me into action that time. That's, that, that was what was different this time. I think we've all Googled those phrases, haven't yes. we? <laughs> Help Google. <laughs> what do I do? Now? 
but it's my life out (laughs) I know exactly but it's so interesting you say that obviously I'm a white woman and this Mm -hmm. has only come on my radar in the last few years um I've always been blessed to have friends of ethnic minorities around me and never even thought twice about getting them a card where they can look at it and think oh that's me that's not a blonde white girl on the card it's in the last few years when I've started to develop myself and trying to learn about people not like me where I've struggled I've gone in and I've said I have a black friend I need to buy a card for do you have black people on a card no and I've gone to online stores and you know I one experience was one online store I messaged them and said can you tell me um who your black illustrators are of your cards they refused to get back to me I messaged them on about seven different platforms yes and I thought this isn't even affecting me this is just me trying to be thoughtful for a friend who doesn't see representation on a card so I can't even imagine how it feels to have had that your whole life really Yes, precisely. This is it. And it's amazing, as you say, that, you know, you're reaching out and the fact that they didn't even bother to respond to you. And, you know, that in itself is is a huge problem. Um, if it's a case that you don't stop them, be transparent about that. We don't stop black greeting cards. And, you know, obviously there's there needs to be a huge change in the industry because there are a number of black illustrators out there and black publishers, yet we aren't represented in the industry. We aren't in the um, you know well-known high street stores. They do exist, but it's a case that you really have to hunt them out or you need to know someone who knows someone who knows someone that that shop that round the corner, but I can't remember the name of it, sometimes stocks black greeting cards. Mm. You know, and, and, and that's the experience. And as I said, I was living in London at the time and I couldn't find one. So if I can't find one, what are the chances that anyone else can, let alone, as you say, a, a person who identifies as white? Hmm. Yeah, and I think obviously like you have a greeting card business and that's one area where it's, it's very visible but there are so many areas and actually for me what's really interesting is um, I have um, a white friend who is really trying to bring up her daughters to mm. really see diversity in like all breadths of it and there was a particular set of books now this book this um, what do you call it a series of books mm-hmm. was all about princesses but they really actively made an effort mm-hmm. to have like an African princess and an Asian princess and all, mm-hmm. like all and so many like you could see on their website so many different shades of wonderful princesses mm-hmm. and was like here are the princesses from all around the world mm-hmm. however she lived in Nottingham mm-hmm. and the Nottingham Waterstones only stopped the ones that had white uh, people white princesses yes so she'd asked me because I lived in London yes. whether I could go to the Waterstones in London to try mm. and buy the copies and the thing that really upset me about that was I thought there's a big difference where the they haven't been published and the, mm. these companies don't exist but I was like this mm. is clearly a brand that's made an mm. effort like they've really consciously decided mm we want to make something that is as diverse as possible and help no matter what type of woman um, like little girl that's out there be able to mm. see that it doesn't matter what you look like you can be a princess but then actually the waterstones in Nottingham has then decided no we're, we're not going to mm. stop that and that felt like a very different um, thing to me and luckily as I said I did I was fortunate enough to be able to go into the waterstones in London and buy them and take them back up for her but that again is an issue where you think it's like mm. yes it's we could be having issues where it's people aren't even having the opportunity, but then also about, I suppose, brand censoring and Mm -hmm. actually stopping people that are even making that effort in the first place. Yes, absolutely. Because as you say, once upon a time, such black brands or businesses didn't necessarily exist. 
the fact is that they are present now and you know these changes need to come from the top it's a case that you know someone's making a decision somewhere um, you know on the board in the head office where wherever it is to decide to actively make the choice of not stocking um, that you say particular items that will um, appeal to a particular demographic of the UK you know the UK is a multi um, a multiracial country we have people from all over the world so many different backgrounds yet so many industries don't represent that they aren't representative and it's really sad that you're saying that you know you have a friend who has probably already had to overcome significant milestones to even get this book published to then come across another major stumbling block and it is a major stumbling block in terms of now i need to have my product present in the marketplace because there's so many brands as you say who just blatantly say no and you is this mm. constant knocking on doors knocking on doors knocking on doors hoping that you'll finally get an opportunity and that it's it's a, an exhausting experience um you know if she didn't have that connection with you Sherelle what would have been her choice yeah. you know get a train down to London <laughs> seek out the walks the stage you know and it's just a ridiculous situation that we shouldn't have to be in um but you know that's why it's important to have these conversations you know contact seven different platforms you know to try and get an answer to your question mm. and took that to do that because it is about allies as well this isn't um it's a fight solely for black people we all have to come together to do this yeah and obviously you've had your company uh, since 2016 so it's been you've been around for a few years now and one thing I wanted to talk to you about a little bit I suppose is the shift of representation so because I definitely would say there has been you know you aren't the only now black um green card company and you know I've definitely seen for example I'm really conscious of the uh, improvement in dolls for example that's definitely an area where I feel like I've noticed and mm. there are changes being made mm. and so I just thought it'd be interesting I suppose from your perspective ha what have you seen over the last year that I suppose gives you some hope or makes you think like a change is coming Mm, definitely. Well, I think the events of the summer have, um, you know, really highlighted and amplified the need for diversity represent sorry, representation to have the conversations. And I think it's it's also about saying it's OK if you don't understand, but make a proactive attempt or steps to find this information because it is available. We all have access to Google. And it's about having this dialogue, having this conversation and, you know, social media enables us to do this, you know, maybe 10, 20 years ago, we wouldn't have been able to, you know, be on this platform, have this podcast. We've got three women, three different shades, three different backgrounds all coming together to share our different experiences. So I think it's basically created a platform to, you know, start these conversations. Brands are recognizing that they can and should do better. And, you know, everyone was posting these black squares and then everyone stopped posting the black squares and everyone was kind of thinking, so what next? What happens next? And the next is continuing these conversations, um, you know, putting in realistic measures, evaluating all these kinds of things. It, it isn't rocket science. And what's really key is to be having these conversations with people who have the lived experiences, having diverse boards. You can't teach something if you don't have the knowledge so bring in that talent the changes need to happen from the top from the top yeah. down and spread across mm -hmm. through the entire company that needs to be through your your hiring your branding your tone of voice 
all those kind of things. And I said, it isn't rocket science. It's about making a conscious effort to want to make those changes. And yeah, I think it's interesting you said like about boards and mm. it does come from the top. And I think when we look at big business, there's mm. a, there was a big distance. I, I definitely feel as if like the change in the small business space is like, like I would say there's great improvement in some areas. But then mm. when we go to look at the bigger companies, there's like more mm. issues. But one of the things you like mentioned about was like, how is representation seen? And mm. one of the things again, is I've always been around marketing and actually mm. like, who are the people we see in our adverts? Who mm. are the people we see in the magazines? Like I think, you know, recently um, we spoke a bit, Verity, didn't you, about like, the changes that have been made was in Vogue. We talk about how like, yes. now it's becoming much more diverse. Yeah. And I suppose it's that thing about visually like mm. diversity. What, you know, is there anyone that you think from a bigger brand is actually someone that's like, ha- is really showing to be committed and is someone that we should be looking to or someone that you can tell actually here is a company that's making some efforts and people that are actually trying rather than it just mm. being from the actual black community and it's all these small mm. businesses working up, like who is doing it? visually from the top Mm, definitely well I think it's interesting that you touched on Vogue because this is now headed up by Edward Enifull I think I've pronounced his name correctly and Vogue is completely different to what it was 10 years ago I mean um, some of the people that they've had on the cover of late you know activists or people working in healthcare that would never have happened 15 years ago so I think it's definitely transform the magazine and probably transform the readership as well there'll be some readers who who won't purchase the magazine because it has changed so dramatically having said that they will obviously attract a new audience who do want to see diversity people from all different shapes uh, abilities backgrounds you know this is reflective of the real society that we live in Um, we can look at nike who've been always Uh, you know pretty big brand activists in terms of supporting Colin uh, Kaepernick the American baseball player who took a knee during the anthem and he was fired from his uh, sporting squad and so you know they've chosen to stand by him and say that black Mm. lives matter and um, you know I think companies are making quite a big decision in terms of whether they are ready and poised to make such a statement because a lot of yeah. companies have shied away from that because they wanted to protect their brand they don't want to get involved in politics all lives matter and um so you know there are brands out there that do take a stance and also mac you know mac have been around for a long time mac cosmetics and they've always um had a diverse representation of celebrities you know they've had paul mary j blige Nicki minaj rihanna and so they've always been forefront of making sure that their brand speaks to all women, not just mm. a particular type of women. So yeah. I think they, you know, they, they've, they've been around for a while and I don't think they're shy about amplifying their message. And I think a lot of new brands that are springing up, that's their message from the beginning. And I think that yeah, that's the yeah, difference. Yeah. And we'll see a huge change from those brands because I think that younger generations, that's what they're tapped into. They want to know about ethics behind a brand. They want brands to be transparent about what their diversity policies are. They want to know the faces behind the brand. So I think that there'll be a big shift, but not necessarily driven by the bigger, larger, more established brands. Mm, It does feel like it's coming from the roots upwards. And I think Mm. millennials have a toe in the water in that, but I think it's this generation Z that really are starting to care about stuff and one example just touching on what you spoke about Mm. of a brand standing by um Mm. 
I suppose, activism was ITV when Diversity mm. did a performance yeah, yes. and part of their regime was, you know, taking mm. the knee and, and really kind of um, touching on the Black Lives Matter, um, mm. you know, project and campaign. And they said, we stand by diversity. You know, mm. you've all complained and we believe that Black Lives Matter. So we're standing yes. by diversity. And I just thought for a brand that probably is, the demographic of the audience are probably white working class typically mm. I thought wow that it just felt really pat and you, you can feel that tide changing hopefully um, yes. but it has to keep changing we can't just think oh that's enough we can go back to the day-to-day -day now it yes, has to definitely. keep going but also definitely. the fact that they even got that many complaints with that diversity performance mm. to me is actually just scary the fact yes. that actually ITV had to then take that stand to support them and mm. you're right it is it's really good that actually they got that many complaints and said no mm. like we believe in our programming and we do stand by it and mm. you know they didn't retract yes. but it is it still does shock me that how, for how many wasn't it like the most complaints it's like they've ever got yes this is it it's um you know it was it was brilliant that they made this statement because I don't think that anyone was really sure how they were going to respond I think mm. everyone was kind of holding their breath and thinking are they going to get this right or are they going to get it wrong? And thankfully, they made the right move. And, you know, equally, this feeds into the fact that they have a black host on the show that, um, is it Alicia Dixon? Alicia Dixon? I don't really watch television, you see, so I'm always reading and I can't always <laughs> and announce everything. It's fine, don't, would, was she the one in Mystique, though? I mean, yes, oh, yeah, I dance to it. some of those great songs. <laughs> Bringing back those garage memories. <laughs> So yes, it's fantastic that she was even on the panel in the first place. It's fantastic that they had a black group on stage in the first place. And it, it enables her to then not necessarily talk about Black Lives Matter, but show her support, which then is the catalyst of all these complaints coming yeah. out of the woodwork. And you know, people often make a sweeping statement that the UK is racist. I don't believe that the UK is racist, but there's a cohort of people who are actively and openly racist and they walk amongst us um so i think it's important that we are aware that like you said that the, it had the highest level of complaints ever because again that initiates further conversation yeah absolutely and one of the things you mentioned earlier which i hadn't even thought about was about makeup so you mentioned about mm. mac mm. and that actually is a very interesting experience I suppose as someone growing up because mm. actually yes Mac is really diverse in its foundations mm. but for the longest time there were so many makeup brands that just mm -hmm. weren't and if, if you weren't you know you didn't have the money to be like Mac is the place that I can go and buy my foundation from or then it would be like actually I have a choice of like 75 different shades of white basically and then there might never be one token black mm. like foundation that would like be it and I do think makeup is a a world where you can see that improvement now like you actually would there was more brands that are doing more shades but you know that definitely wasn't the situation when we were growing up no it's um it's it's another conversation where it has so many different angles to it because as you say growing up our shade just wasn't available or we had to try and make it from a mixture of this <laughs> eyeshadow and that and you'd come out looking really ashy <laughs> so you know it was, it was just such a strange time because you're 
as a young woman in your 20s, you're experimenting with makeup and you're not able to have that full on experience that maybe some of your your white friends are able to have because they've got the full color palette there, but you're not being represented. So, you know, putting on makeup should be a joyful experience. And we're sat here reminiscing that oh, can you remember it was really awkward because we could only do our lipstick on our eyes, but we couldn't cover our, our skin with anything. Mm. And so, you know, there's also a lot of black owned brands that are creating their own line of black makeup Mm. and so there's this kind of interesting shift where I question why the larger brands didn't want to cater to black women previously because it's you have to remember it's a choice the choice was made not to cater to this particular demographic of women so black women have um, decided okay we'll cater for ourselves and now these bigger companies are saying, okay, yeah, we want to jump on the bandwagon too. So I'm always kind of reluctant to want to support those kind of black brands because I think to myself, well, you didn't want to cater to me before. So I don't feel like I want to invest my money in your product. Actually, I'm going to invest in the brands who have always had our backs, who have always seen our value and aren't simply catering to us now because they want our pounds. They want mm-hmm. our coins. That's the way that I see it. I remember in London, it was around about 2015 I think I went to an event I think it was a home and beauty event and previously I had purchased a uh, concealer from a well-known brand and they had a stand there so I thought great I can pick up my concealer whilst I'm here and I was looking at the shades and they had maybe about five shades all very light Um, I think the dark was probably like an olive skin tone so I remember saying to the uh, assistant, where is shade number? I can't remember whatever it was. Basically, mm-hmm. it was a brown shade. And she said, we haven't got it. And I remember looking at her and she looked at me really sheepishly because she was recognising what was happening. <laughs> and I appreciate it isn't her fault. And I was saying, you know, this simply isn't good enough. You've brought a selection of shades and none of these are representative of actually some of the shades that you do have. And so she was really apologetic. But I went home and I wrote to the company and they sent me a goodie bag. And, you know, I I, I remember in the letter saying to them that it isn't a case that you can pick and choose when you want to cater to us. Mm -hmm. If you're having a stand and you have 28 shades, then take those 28 shades. Don't just select the lightest shades. And the problem is, is that someone has made, again, that conscious decision of only selecting a certain level of light shades. So who made that decision? You know, who signed that off? Why was that okayed? Mm. Uh, so it is, um, but like you said, it's definitely changing now. Black women don't struggle to find foundations now. So it, it's completely changed. And I think that they were probably one of the leaders in initiating wider representation. Yeah. And I think we, you've raised a really interesting point. We have to be careful that people aren't just ticking a box because they think it's the thing to do otherwise they will be deemed as racist or non-supportive of black people and it's a bit like greenwashing isn't it someone I've Mm. seen lots of people talk about H&M recently like they say they have a conscious collection but it's like two percent of the range or something and so it's a bit like (laughs) well that's great you're taking a step forward but come on guys like you are a multi-billion pound company you need to work harder and I think if you have a a black shade then that needs to Mm. follow through in your copy your tone Mm. your models everything Mm -hmm. you know that maybe the support Mm. that you give um to non-profits or whatever Mm. um and I think another area that I've seen expanding that is things like tights and skin Mm. color underwear Mm -hmm. and I actually waded in 
and I knew I knew what would happen but it was on the independent it was an article about how a black woman had been offended by the name of tobacco for a bra that Marks and Spencer had produced mm. and there was many comments I'm assuming by white middle-class people saying oh she needs to get a grip you know she why is she so offended you know stop being a snowflake etc and I kind of just said, well, it's not really up to you to decide what she's offended by. If that word offends her, then it offends her. And obviously you can imagine the hate I got through yes. that. But <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's just hor- it's horrible as a white person seeing other white people acting mm. like that. Because like you said, there was no reason why all these big makeup brands couldn't produce mm. many shades. I'm sure it wouldn't have cost that much. So why didn't they do it? And I why? Yes. The makeup, the the skin colour underwear thing, actually, I totally forgotten about. Trying to get a skin coloured bra. So, like, because I'm actually, even when I think things first started to expand, then the natural, I think companies would make, obviously, then, like, quite a dark shade. So there would be, like, all these white shades, and then they'd make quite a dark black. Mm-hmm. And so someone that's very, like, in between, mm-hmm. I just wouldn't find anything. And like you said, and then you'd have to start going to places like Marks and Spencer's. And I was like, that wasn't where I had money. When I, like, no. you know, I'm a working class girl. Like, yes. so they then became this thing, like, even with Mac, it's like, yeah, it's great they had it, but it was, like, the most expensive makeup I could possibly buy in boots would be that was the only place it would have that color and so then it, it starts to play into like actually your social economical state and it's like well then do I even have enough money because the only companies that are managing to start to make those changes are in a um are more expensive and I definitely remember doing dance shows where like, I just didn't because you, you couldn't get the right color skin tone for like what my tights should be and all that sort of stuff and you know and as a dancer it's like the whole now there's been a big movement for like ballet shoes because it yes. was an issue that none of the black ballerinas could ever get their point shoes they would all have to get them like individually made so if you're just yes. a normal girl that's just learning ballet it wasn't an option and there's all those things that they're like so many people never have to consider you just go to the shop and you just yes. buy it and it's there whereas me if I want to wear some like mesh see-through top when I was 14 it was like yes. what on earth bra am I going to get away with with yeah <laughs> this it is it's you know we grew up in a sense of invisibility as you say you know clothing makeup um media our children's books we just didn't see ourselves and that in itself creates so many complexities growing up as an adult where you don't know where you fit in or you do certain things to yourself to make you feel that you fit in or feel accepted um, I remember reading an article about Alexandra Burke, who won the singer who won X Factor in, I think it was 2008. And only recently, I think it was this summer, that she felt um, in a position to share her experiences of racism, of the industry telling her to bleach her skin, uh, to not wear hair in braids, so that she appealed more to a white audience. And we're talking, you know, 12 years later, she's been carrying that experience with her and only felt comfortable now probably in light of the events of the summer to share her horrendous experience Mm. and I think as as black women and black men we all carry some form of trauma with us throughout our lives um, that affects us in everything that we do whether it's on a daily basis but the fact is it it's there continuously so it may not seem like a big thing uh, you know it's the same with black plasters um yeah (laughs) yeah so Tesco released, I mean, I mean, that's a whole other story attached to that as well. But um, there is a black, black uh, sorry, black brand that specialises in black plasters. 
and uh, Tesco have launched theirs as well. But like I said, I'm not going to go there. That's another story. And I remember the comments on Twitter again, you know, similar to what you say, Verity, oh, why do we need black plasters? You know, next people are going to be asking for red plasters and green plasters. And they just didn't get it. They <sighs> just didn't get it. So, you know, it's exactly about what you were saying, Verity. It's, it's a, I'm not sure if some people will ever get it because they don't want to take the time to try and understand from an alternative perspective. Yeah, and I, th I think we, we, me and Charlotte spoke about this. I think it is that that lack of, um, well, it's a lack of awareness, a lack awareness. of wanting to go out of your safe bubble. Mm. You know, we're in a safe white bubble here. You know, we've, mm. we've got privilege. Yes. We've got everything served on a plate to us. We've got all the foundation, all the underwear, mm. whatever. We never need to think about that. So let's no. just stay in this white bubble. And and I think you're right. I think some people will die never yes. understanding what women like you have been through and will continue to go through and what children yes. will go through um and that's sad but uh, yes. i suppose it happens in in so many areas of life and if if we can continue each day to to do our best to mm -hmm. make change so more and more people start mm -hmm. to become more aware understanding mm -hmm. empathize then mm -hmm you know it's moving a step forward but it, it's just so sad that it's 2020 and we're having to have you know discussions like this we shouldn't yes. we shouldn't we, we should just be, it shouldn't even be a thing anymore but it is and it will be for many decades to come yes. I'm sure unfortunately this is it and I think as well that um you know people are understandably sometimes fearful to have the conversation because they're afraid of making missteps and again mm. that's understandable but you know put yourself out there, um, speak to a friend. You can, there's so much, a wealth of information on Google um, that, you know, we all have a responsibility in being part of the solution. Mm. And I think that, you know, keep having these conversations because we're not going to be able to change everyone's mind. But if you're in a position whereby you hear someone, you know, maybe a family member or a friend who says something that is offensive to feel, you know, confident enough or well equipped to want to bring them up on that to explain why it's offensive. And, you know, I think that you need to be able to say that from a place of, I think you need to be in a place of discomfort before you can get comfortable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I'm constantly in a place of discomfort in, a, in trying to be the best ally I can. Um, yes. And people have pulled me up on it. And you know, someone I corrected someone the other day for some language that they used, and they mm. said, "Oh, I, I can't really relax around you anymore because, like, you're always trying to like correct if I say yeah. something that's a bit, you know, not PC." Mm. And I nearly burst into tears because I was just oh, like, no. "No, no, I'm, but no, I'm not. I'm just saying, like, it was anger. I was just like, yes. for God's sake, you know, like, yes. I, I couldn't even put it into words. What?" To say I was I, it was right. just I was just like well that's how I am now so yeah like deal Precisely. with this sort of thing um it. but again it's nothing absolutely nothing compared to the journey that you and other black people have been on um yeah. absolutely not it's just yeah. it is yeah it's and it's really interesting how mm. much like talking to you today is also just like there's so many stuff like, like I think I've forgotten like actually because I do think that like you said there are so many things you can buy now that we couldn't years ago mm. but actually like me thinking about being a teenager like mm. like yeah it's like just brought back those memories you're like oh actually I have to like forget 
what it's like but obviously you are you are carrying that with you and one thing that for me definitely has been like part of my journey is my hair and um you know that's definitely the whole thing we talk about fitting in like as a teenager it was Mm. just the biggest obvious thing to me that I just was not like everyone else and obviously one of the things if you everyone like go check out Nicola's um cards is you are a massive supporter of the fabulous pros and you're very you talk about it a lot and I suppose for me because Eve I just would like to talk a little bit about why because for me actually that is probably one of the biggest appeals actually is when I see some if I see someone with big hair it really does make me feel like I am being represented because actually even with black women being presented in so many ways like loads of them will be like their hair is braided up or they Mm. they are wearing a wig or they are wearing Mm. weave and there still has Mm. been a longer journey to be like this is our natural hair like own it Yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, to answer that question, it's almost going back in history in terms of um, how our skin and how the colour of our skin and the texture of our hair has been portrayed. Um, You know, society has tried to teach um, the population that black is bad, black is negative. I mean, if you look in the dictionary of all the words associated with the word black, a lot of them are negative and derogatory. Um, Going back to hair, black hair has always been deemed as unprofessional, unkempt, mm. unruly, unattractive. Again, all these negative connotations, which obviously are not true. And I think what's happened most definitely in the last decade, and I think social media has played a large role in this, in that even though we didn't see as many black women or black men in the media, on TV and magazines, social media, Pinterest has enabled us to amplify the presence of black people, to amplify black people uh, in positive light and beautiful illustrations, paintings, um, you know, old photographs, all these things that we would never have been able to access before. And I think that has um, empowered us to want to re-embrace our, our identity. There was a time in the 80s where a lot of black women had to relax their hair straight chemically straighten their hair to you know go for a job interview make sure you look presentable that was the idea um going in with your hair in, in an afro like how you have your hair right now Sherelle that that was a guaranteed you probably wouldn't even get past the interview stage yeah. you know 20 years ago and so there was a lot of having to try and conform to what society's ideals were and definitely what's happened in the last 10 years is that women are saying actually no this is how my hair grows out of my head this is this is how it is I actually want to look after it I want to take care of my curls I want to be proud of my curls and this has just built momentum more momentum as the years have have gone by I myself I used to wear my hair in weaves part of it was because it was ease but part of it it was because I'd been conditioned to think that this was how I had to look to be accepted Mm -hmm. and when I stopped wearing weaves probably about about four years ago, just after I launched my brand. And I can remember feeling so incredibly liberated. And I hadn't been ready for that. I just hadn't expected it. It was just a decision in my mind. I'm going to go natural, wear my curls. And then when I went outside for the first time, I was like, oh my God, (laughs) I haven't got a weave on today. And it was just, I felt so empowered. And I hadn't realized that all my identity had been stifled and had been hidden. So it's an amazing experience and it's amazing to be able to add that positivity to young children. This is what's really important to me is that a little girl can receive a card from my brand and say, mummy, daddy, she looks like me. And that, that's, that's, that's where it really needs to begin so that they don't 
grow up carrying all this kind of trauma and baggage with them. They grow up seeing other kids that look like them or just even just seeing a variety of different children so that when they do get to their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, they already know what diversity is. They already know yeah. what representation is. They don't need to have these conversations anymore. It's, it just becomes normality. So, um, yeah, it's brilliant that the natural hair movement is being embraced and is gathering pace and is appearing more on TV as well. You know, it's, I don't watch television. I usually watch television when I go away and I'm in a hotel and I turn on the TV. <laughs> And I'm always astounded, like, oh my God, there's a black person in the advert. And then the next advert will come, there's another black person. And it's, you know, when you don't watch television for a long time, you can see the changes. And I think, wow. It, so it, I can see it, it is changing over time, mm. definitely. So that's a really long answer, wasn't it? <laughs> no, no, it's good. It's, it's, as I said, there was so much tied up in here. And I think like the conversation around here, like you could have a whole podcast episode on it because there, was, there are so many issues, but it's obviously something I definitely for me like what is a standout about your brand has been that you really did make this decision to be like we're all gonna like we are gonna support the fabulous froze and we are gonna be really proud of it and like it is a key part of your business so I thought it was worth to mentioning but just before we round up and we do our fire round questions obviously one thing is um I really wanted you to talk a little bit about was just about the black pound day because I think you're someone who really is in this like black British like really part of the scene and it, and I think it's important to for a lot of our listeners might not even be aware of what Black Pound Day is and it's a great way if you are someone that wants to support other black um, businesses. Yeah definitely I think what's important to recognize about Black Pound Day is that Black Pound Day is not about boycotting non-black businesses so mm. I think that needs to be specified up front. For black businesses um, a lot of them are self-funded uh, struggle to secure funding again that's a whole nother story but the point is is that they don't have the necessarily have the finances or the resources to reach an audience on a wider scale to um you know um market their brand to make people aware that they exist and black pound day is about sharing those brands it's about supporting those brands it's about redirecting your resources for a couple of days of the month to help support black businesses Supporting black businesses means that you're um, increasing the black economy. You're building generational wealth. You can build a business and pass that on to your children. Um, again, you know, there's so many complexities tied to it, but it's, it's such an important day to help boost the visibility of black businesses. It's really key because black businesses don't get the same support. Um, they aren't, you know, a lot of the media is controlled by a select few who don't identify as black you so you won't get the same publicity you won't get the same buy-in you have to do it all yourself and it's incredibly hard work and I think what Black Pound Day has shared as well is that I will have people who don't identify as black um, you know dropping in the comments in the DMs, sharing the work and it's it's brilliant because a lot of um, white people people who don't identify as black don't even know these businesses exist mm. so a whole new world has been opened up to them too and also black businesses there's many of them who don't cater to, you know, specifically black people. There's many yeah. services out there as well. So again, you're attracting a brand new audience and an audience is having more variety in who they choose to shop with and who they choose to support. So just for some clarity, so Black Pound Day is always the first Saturday of the month? It's the, yes, the first Saturday of every month. Yeah. Yes, definitely. We can pop a link to it, can't we? Just in case people want to explore it more and, and yeah. find more about it. But um, 
yeah obviously we'll put all your links as well so so people can find you um so should we do our quick fire round let's do it so question number one what is the definition of free to you I think walking in your own purpose, being the CEO of your own life, however that looks, and um, having the freedom to live how you want to. Again, I think society places these uh, ideals on us on how we should live life that, you know, you need to get be be married to a man, you need to have a house, you need to have kids, the car, the dog, this whole. So I think, you know, walking in your own light is definitely what I would say that's what being free means to me being who who you are meant to be that's really nice I need to go on a (laughs) t-shirt or a card or a card (laughs) I like it let me make a note of that (laughs) and what is your favorite thing to do on your own (laughs) you know it was interesting I was thinking about this and I thought you know, how serious do I want to be with this? I thought, well, you know, the conversation is going to be pretty deep. (laughs) My favourite thing is to turn out the lights and turn up the tunes and just dance away, dance the night away. And I was talking to my friend last night and she said, last night, you know, I just turned the lights out and I was dancing. I was thinking, yes, it isn't just me. Oh no, it's not just you at all. Oh, I've been doing it most Fridays and Saturday nights in lockdown. I'm like, they, I can't, you can take the club away from me, but you're not taking yes. the dancers away. So put yeah. your hands up. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah, I'm, I'm there yeah, as well. Absolutely. Yeah, um, it's such a stress reliever as well, isn't it? Sorry, this is the quick fire round, isn't it? No, no, it's, it's, it's fine. Don't worry. We, we, we go with the flow on this podcast. It's, it's totally Good. fine. But you're right, it is a stress reliever and it has so many health benefits. And I think like Sherelle said, we've lost... We've lost our parties. We've lost our yes. club. So we need to like get that fixed somewhere, don't we? So Definitely. in the living room with the lights yes. out is just perfect. <laughs> and so it. what is your best piece of advice for millennial women? Definitely to invest in personal development. Um, it isn't necessarily about wanting to own your own business or your own brand or wanting to even do anything in the public forum, but it really helps so much in terms of, um, you know, building your confidence, um, learning how to navigate certain situations, being able to say no when you don't want to do something, um, discovering your purpose, discovering your passions and reconnecting with ourselves. I think life is so busy and um, there's so many distractions as well that we don't, we, we haven't been taught how to look after ourselves. And it's so key to be able to take care of our mental well-being, to want to feel that you have control of your future and your destiny. So I definitely say investing in personal development. Perfect. Yeah, no, that's, that sounds that's something that me and Shirelle are huge yeah. advocates of. So, um, and I suppose following on from that, which resource, you know, a book, a documentary, a podcast are you always recommending to people? Yes, definitely. The book, I hadn't picked up a book, um, I'm embarrassed to say, for about 10 or 15 years. I just, I just wasn't into books. That's the only way I can describe it. And then the course that I mentioned earlier on introduced me to this book. So this was the first book I'd read in about 15 years. And it's called The Miracle Morning, The Six Habits That Will Transform Your Life Before 8am. And it's by, um, by Hal Elrod. And when I say that this book transformed my life, it, it, really really did it was the catalyst of significant change for me it talks about the benefits of 
waking up early, waking up in a positive mindset, drinking water, exercising first thing in the morning, journaling, which is so cathartic. It's really brilliant. Really, and it isn't, it isn't heavy going either. It's just so light with, and they're simple habits that anyone can mm. implement in their life. So that would be my number one book recommendation. It's a very, very good book recommendation. And I have a six part video series on it. So I break down the whole six uh, steps of it. So we can put a link into that. So that even if you can't face Fantastic. having to read the book, quickly check out the six steps brilliant i love the connection and this wasn't even planned (laughs) (laughs) in sync in sync perfect and finally what are you still trying to figure out do you know again i was thinking how deep do i go with this and i thought well you know really what am i trying to figure out and this is in all honesty what i'm trying to figure out right now how to get a decent night's sleep um when I, when I go to bed, I wear my earplugs. So I block out all the noise. Great. I put my eye mask on. Great. Everything's blacked out. I can't see anything. So that's perfect. The senses are sorted. It's the pillows. It's the mattress. I just cannot get comfortable. I don't, I've tried memory phones, soft mattresses, hard mattresses, soft pillows, hard pillows. And I just, I feel like I need a, a sleep expert, someone to come in and sort out my bed for me. So that's what I am seriously still trying to figure out. <laughs> Okay, well, we'll shout out to any sleep experts that are listening yes. to this podcast right now. If you can get in touch with us, we'll connect you with Nicola. Yes, brilliant. <laughs> oh, no, it is a pain. We, we spoke about this recently, didn't we, on a podcast about sleeping. And it is a pain yeah. when your sleep's so important, isn't it? it is. And, uh, oh, it's horrible when you can't it sleep. Is. So this I is hope it you figure that out soon. Me too as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no um, I always speak about it because I've been really really struggling with sleep and it impacts mm-hmm. everything else in your life so if we can find a sleep expert because I'd also just love to do an episode on it because I do think you are not the only person because I am also struggling so I know there's yes. got to be other people out there that do I, but I thank agree. you so so much Nicola for coming on I've really really enjoyed talking to you and I really hope that everyone listening really finds some value in it um as we said we will be putting all your links so if anyone check, wants to check out your cards they want to check out your instagram etc we'll be putting all of that in the show notes so please do check out the show notes and we'll be speaking to you next week thank you so much for listening to this episode of free and figuring it out don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss the next installment and if you want to be a superstar please leave us a review or you can get in touch with us drop us an email at free and figuring it out at gmail.com we'd love to hear from you until next time